This year, we are walking through the wilderness uh, with God's Old Testament church, uh, the Israelites. Uh, that is what this book is actually called. Uh, the book of Numbers is the, uh, the Greek uh, translation, the Septuagint. That's where the title comes from. In the Hebrew, it is Midbar, in the wilderness. And the book really is about God with his people in the wilderness. That is especially what we see uh, this morning from the end of chapter 9 and beginning of chapter 10 in this last section of the first section of this book. Before we read any of it, it is good to go to God in prayer. So let's do that. Indeed, O Lord, we come to you uh, because it is you who speaks. You are the God of revelation. And this word uh, that we read this morning is your revelation. First given to your people so long ago. But it is still for your people today. But in order to hear your word as your word, we need your Holy Spirit right now to come and bear witness to the reading and to the preaching of your word. Do that for your glory. We pray then for the preacher, knowing that he is not worthy, and only by your grace is he able. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Our reading this morning is going to come in two parts. We're going to read the uh, last half of chapter 9, and then later we'll read the first half of chapter 10. The passages go together as the final summary of preparation before God's people begin their march through the wilderness toward the promised land. But before we read the passage, it seems to me good at this time to remind us of the link between Bible exposition and application. Expository preaching is where the point of the passage is the point of the sermon. I heard someone recently quip about a pastor's topical sermon on expository preaching. Expository uh, of Scripture is absolutely what it means to preach the Word, but so is the application of that Scripture. In fact, it was said of Jonathan Edwards, his doctrine was all application and his application was all doctrine. It's important to hear the indicatives and the imperatives of the gospel. But all of that needs to come from what the passage is about. Now, Presbyterians have long been known as an academic bunch. We care deeply about right doctrine, orthodoxy, right doctrine. And we are rightly criticized for sometimes having such an emphasis on right doctrine that we can lose sight of right practice, orthopraxy, right practice. Right practice includes a right response to the word. Right doctrine includes a right response to the word. As James wrote, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do as it says. Now I say all this at the outset because that is what this morning's passage is about. In two readings, we will hear the account of the glory cloud and the silver trumpets. But the point is not to analyze the cloud and the trumpets. The point is to respond to the cloud and to the trumpets. And as we will see in our passage this morning, and as we always see in God's word, the problem was never in the pursuit of a right understanding, but in living out that right understanding in real life. And those two things are intermixed, or at least they're supposed to be. 
Right living without right doctrine is legalism. But right doctrine without right living is hypocrisy. And so with that, let's hear this first summary uh, from the end of chapter 9, beginning at verse 15. Listen to God's word. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp, and then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning, they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. So a bit of exposition before we get to the application so that the two are rightly connected. Our passage here simply calls it the cloud. But the phrase, the glory cloud, is because uh, the same cloud is talked about at the very close of the book of Exodus. And we read this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And so it isn't just a cloud, but the glory of the Lord was in the cloud. The very presence of God physically manifests physically revealed, physically appearing by the cloud. And physical manifestations of God are great, but there can be a temptation for us to say, well, yeah, if God would just physically appear to me today, man, it would be so much easier to follow him. But scripture shows us again and again that this isn't the case. Even with the glory cloud leading them, we're going to see the people of God fail again and again. Jesus, the most awesome display of God physically present, and yet the disciples, not to mention the masses of people, failed again and again. So an awesome physical display, awesome physical display, but we need to be clear that our problem has been and continues to be a spiritual issue. And so whether God is with us in a glory cloud or in the person of Jesus or in the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within our very hearts. It is at the spiritual heart level 
that right doctrine and right living happen. Now, the word that's translated glory, uh, though that's not in our passage, but in Exodus, the Greek word is doxa, from which we get doxology, glory words. And in Hebrew, it's the word kabod, which carries with it the connotation of weight, heaviness. There's a weightiness to the glory of God. The glory or honor of God is connected to a physical manifestation to show the weightiness of God. He isn't a puny God, but is completely overwhelming. And then we consider that and we think, we have the Holy Spirit of the glorious God living in our hearts. How is that even possible? The grace of God is how that's possible. The Holy Spirit applying the redemption purchased by Christ. We are meant to be overwhelmed by the glorious work of the Holy Spirit applying redemption. We are only able to bear it by the grace of God. And so we say, oh, I want to experience the glory of God. And usually what we mean by that is, I really want to feel good. To be overwhelmed by the glory of God is to be overwhelmed by the glory of God. To be so overwhelmed, you are aware of what grace we need. The verse that is so often uh, misinterpreted, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The people take that to me and I can do anything. Uh, okay, fly. All right. What that passage means in context is all the things that we are called to do, we can do through Christ who strengthens us. The overwhelming glory of God and the grace of God makes it possible for us to do these things through Christ who strengthens us to bear the weightiness of God's glory. And so verse 17 is the point, and it's actually repeated several times, but whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Whenever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. And you got to believe that there were times that when the cloud lifted, there were some Israelites that were thinking, oh man, we just got here, just, just, just got to settle. Can we just stay for a little bit? I'm tired. And you got to believe on the other side that there were times when the cloud settled and some Israelites were thinking, come on, we we got to get some motion here. we got to get places. we got to get going. I have a friend who tells horror stories about their father on road trips who was so intent on getting where they were trying to get to that if they said, I need to go to the bathroom, he would hand them a bucket. And he was serious. They grew to hate family trips because of dad dead set and a tyrant just trying to get there. We all have moments when we want to keep going. And times when we want to catch our breath. God usually has the opposite in mind. And so when someone says to me, I feel like God really wants me to go and do this thing. My first inclination is usually, I don't think so. I think that's something you want to do. And on the other side, when someone says, I'm just resting in the Lord, waiting for him to reveal his will. My first inclination is, I think he's revealed it pretty clearly. You just don't really want to go and do it. So I know that's true. Of me. If the cloud was on the move, I'd want to sleep in. (laughs) If the cloud was stopping, I'd want to keep on rolling. When and how is this true of you, especially because of personality or preference, that you want to keep pushing or you want to hold back? Now, verse 18 couldn't be more clear. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out. At his command, they encamped. And that's the connection 
The cloud moving was God's command, and the cloud staying was God's command. And the people were to follow that command. And again, it's easy for us to say, well, sure, they had a glory cloud to follow. Easy for them to follow God's command. It was so clear. But as we will see, they utterly failed at following God's clear command because it really is a spiritual issue. And we can imagine the human condition in this as well, and that perhaps, at first, it was all very exciting. Glory clouds, and glory clouds moving, everyone in their marching position. But then it gets old, doesn't it? It gets old after a while of, well, days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and months turn into years, 40 years, ultimately. And verse 20 tells us, sometimes the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time. The Israelites obeyed the Lord's order, did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning. And as we will hear later, this grew old quickly for the Israelites. When something's new, it's really exciting, but it can grow old quickly. That can be true for church plants, for church programs, for diets, right? God had a 40-year plan for moving the Israelites through the wilderness. 40 years. The Israelites didn't know that it was 40 years. And if you'd asked them, they certainly weren't thinking 40 years, maybe 40 days. Like, can we pick up the pace, right? The focus of the passage is the people were to follow the Lord. If the cloud moved, they moved. If the cloud settled, they settled. Whatever the Lord commanded, that is what they did. It's exactly the same for us. Any obedience on our part to the Lord's command is a response to God's presence in our life. We cannot distance ourselves from God and then hope to follow his commands. It starts by being attentive to God's presence, not just individually, but within the community. And that's the major point of these first nine chapters in God's presence, among the community of believers, so that when God says go, but you want to stop, you go, because God has said it, and the community clearly understands that. When God says stay, but you want to go, but it's clear, the community together says, no, we have to stay. Now, during the Exodus itself, so before the book of Numbers, in the Exodus itself, We read that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. And this is very reminiscent of that. And so the same God who delivered them from Egypt is the same God who will lead them all the way to the promised land. He who began the good work will bring it to completion. God will be with them all the way, all the time. And that takes us to chapter 10 and the second part of this. And so we have the sense of the cloud moving, but this is sort of the communication piece of the specifics of how it is they're supposed to, uh, to follow. So pick up again at chapter 10, these first 10 verses. Um, listen again to God's word. The Lord said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver. Use them for calling the community together and for having the camps set out. When both are sounded, the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. If only one is sounded, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel, are to assemble before you. 
When a trumpet blast is sounded, the tribes camping on the east are to set out. At the sounding of a second blast, the camps in the south are to set out. The blast will be the signal for setting out. To gather the assembly below the trumpets, but not with the same signal. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets. Then you'll be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. Also, at your times of rejoicing and your appointed feasts and new moon festivals, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord, your God. And so there was to be the construction of two silver trumpets. I have one, in fact. Way back long ago, I used to play trumpet. Uh, If I were to try and play this right now, you'd see a blast of dust that would come out of here at this point in time. It's silver-plated and dust-plated at this point in time. It's been a long time since I've done it. But when we think trumpet, this is kind of what we picture at the moment. But this is way more technologically advanced, right? We've also seen some of the old trumpets, the ones that are the straight, narrow tube that flares at the end. Uh, maybe you're thinking about a Renaissance festival, and you could picture uh, those ones, right? Uh, the historian Josephus uh, says they were more like an 18-inch. Um, okay, maybe. So somewhere between this and the long one, probably not a flag hanging underneath, but who knows, maybe. But it was that sense of the simple trumpet um, that, uh, that would be able to make the long sound. And we can picture that sort of thing. If you hear, what are you supposed to do? Supposed to wake up, right? Or if I say, there you go, right? So we understand the concept of that. We're able to do some more uh, interesting things with trumpets now with uh, uh, advances. But the idea is that with the sound of the trumpet blast in the world before even texting and walkie-talkies, that was the way in which you communicated what the the people were to do. And there were two different types of trumpet calls. Verse 3 says, when both trumpets were sounded in one way, the whole community was to assemble before Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting. If just one sounded, then just the leaders, the heads of the clans, were to assemble. And then verse 5 indicates a different kind of sounding of the trumpets that would indicate when it was that they were to set out and to march. So one sort of trumpet sounding indicated it was time to march, but another was a call to gather at the tent of meeting. Throughout history, trumpets have been used as a summons to war and as a summons to worship. Matthew 24, verse 31 says about the last days, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says about the day of resurrection, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. And Revelation 8 and 9 recounts the seven trumpets for the seven angels sounding them each in turn. A summons to war and a summons to worship. In fact, verse 10 tells us, Also at your times of rejoicing, your appointed feasts, new moon festivals, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And verse 9 had said, when you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, sound a blast on the trumpets 
and you'll be remembered by the Lord your God and rescued from your enemies. So were the trumpets magical? (laughs) If you sounded them, God would magically rescue you? No. The trumpets called you to worship God. And the trumpets reminded you that the God whom you worship is the God who has delivered you and will continue to deliver you. The summons to worship and the summons to war are given by the same God. And whose job was it to sound the trumpets? Not musicians, because it wasn't a musical thing. Verse 8, the sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. The priests, and not just any priest, but the sons of Aaron, those who alone were allowed to enter into and to see and to touch the most holy place and the most holy objects. Those who were the most direct mediators between God and man. The call to worship and the call to war are the call of Christ. It is an inward call. There are the external factors, the external soundings. But if the call to worship is only an external call, then it is superficial and shallow. It can be exciting, but it is not the call of Christ. Genuine worship and genuine spiritual warfare is a spiritual call. At the sound of the trumpets, there was to be obedience to the commands of God. It was not a call to spiritual euphoria. It was not a call to emotional euphoria. It was a call to obey God's command. Whether you felt like it or not, whether you felt it or not, it was the call to obey. So again, the same God who delivered us from sin is the same God who is going to take us all the way to the promised land. He who began a good work in us is going to bring it to completion. God will be with us all the way, all the time, because God's presence and favor is with you. God's presence and favor is with us, not because we're better or more deserving, but simply because God has determined it to be so. And God will never leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' parting words to the disciples, he said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It is because God is present with us and shows his favor towards us that we are able to respond to the trumpeting gospel call and follow God in obedience. In our New Testament reading earlier in the service from 1 Corinthians 10, we read, our forefathers were all under the cloud ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink, drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, that rock was Christ. It is because of Jesus Christ that God's presence and favor was with Old Testament Israel and is with the New Testament church. 1 Corinthians 10 goes on to show that God was not pleased with the disobedience of Israel, and we will see that disobedience in the weeks to come. But 1 Corinthians 10 goes on to say, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So even with the glory cloud, even with the silver trumpets, the inward temptation to idolatry and immorality was always there. And that gives us the well-known words of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. The same temptations, the same idolatry, the same immoralities, the same things that we face are common to all. And God is there to help us to stand in the face of temptation and to help us even when it is that we have failed. God is always faithful even when we are not. God always upholds his promises even when we do not. The same God who delivered us from sin is the same God who will see us all the way to the promised land. He who began the good work will bring it to completion. God will be with us all the way, all the time. God's presence and favor is with you. And so whatever, whatever your temptation may be, whatever idolatry and immorality continues to have a hold on you, know that God's hold is stronger. It is by God's presence and favor that sin's grip on you is released. It is a daily grace that we need. We need to embrace God's continual presence and favor so we can continually respond to the gospel call to live in obedience to God's commands. Hear the trumpet call of Christ calling us to worship. Hear the trumpet call of Christ calling us to fellowship. Hear the trumpet call of Christ calling us to wage war against sin's grip on us. And hear the trumpet call of Christ calling us to wage war against sin's grip on our world. Hear the trumpet call to worship and to war until the day the final trumpet sounds. And may the truth set us free. Amen.